Hello, my name's Dave Matthews, and you're listening to You Started an Agency. It's a podcast kind of like every other advertising podcast where intelligent, innovative, and articulate agency leaders give original insights into what it takes to succeed in this industry. The slight difference is that it just so happens the people I'm speaking to have no idea what the agency is I'm about to tell them that they own, and they're going to be improvising answers in real time to everything you hear. Everything you hear is made up, even the ad breaks. What's about to happen? I don't know. But here we go. Today, my guest is Esti Duplessis. She is a senior strategist who's got a background as creative. She's worked around the world from London to South Africa to Amsterdam and Copenhagen. And I've had the pleasure to work with her for not long enough. I think we work together just the right amount of time. Let's say that. Anyway, today we're cutting from that. We're here because you started an agency. I did. Yeah. I'll tell you what your agency's called, even though you obviously already know. Well, you're so clued up on the industry, so, you know, I wouldn't expect anything less from you. Your agency is called A Better Place. It's an agency that exists only to make the world a better place. You believe that you're fulfilling a civic responsibility to make great advertising that enhances people's lives. It's just such an honourable agency to set up. So congratulations for having such a kind of a moral high ground about the way that you go about setting up your business. Where'd the idea come from? Well, I think before I go into where the idea comes from, I have a a little bit of an announcement. So we are undergoing a major rebrand Um, New name, new logo, out with the old, in with the new. Wow, I didn't see that coming. That's really part of what makes us special, is you never really see it coming. So A Better Place was kind of a placeholder name from my uh, ex-partner. And I say ex-partner, that's a really, really recent development where she left. It was completely mutual, but, you know, she left. But I always felt from the beginning that A Better Place kind of sounds like, kind of sounds like where granny goes. Yeah, okay. Or where, like, your dog goes when you're a kid, a better place. Is They're in a better place now. Yeah, okay. It's so strange that you didn't like the name, but you started an agency called that. And I think that that's, that's a really, really big lesson for me, is that it's a really short jump from compromise to death, essentially. And it's a lesson that I'll carry with me. It's a, it's a heavy lesson. But essentially... We're undergoing this major rebrand because we have the opportunity to create a new name, create a new logo, and I, wa- I wanted to do a bit of soul searching before I, before I came up with the name. Because the purpose of the agency is exactly right, as you say. We exist to do our civic duty, to create a better world around us. And so I went to Paris and I stayed in the best hotels and I ate in all of the best restaurants because, you know, that's so far out of my personal comfort zone, indulging to that extent. And it was actually, it was really hard living in that amount of luxury. And I actually extended it from six months to a year of soul searching because I wanted to challenge myself in this environment. And paid on the company credit card, right? We don't really like to tether ourselves to those kinds of terms like company credit card. But I would say that if you were to ask me, was was this an investment in the future, not just for us, but for the world, I would say yes. Yeah. So definitely the investment paid off. And I kind of realized that I was an agent long before I had an agency. I was this agent for change. And I just I, I just needed a world to change. And so I was in many ways living a life that was an unfulfilled prophecy. That's what I realized. And so I called the agency Profit and Loss. 
profit with a PH, of course, um, linking to my unfulfilled prophecy life. Now I am I'm living that full life and loss hinting to my partner who left and realizing that when you're pursuing such a noble cause, you will lose people along the way. You will you will mm. have to lose people who don't understand or who's not on the same page. And so with this new name and new logo and everything, we actually have a, a brand new chapter. So do you still have the same clients and is it still the same ethos uh, as when you were a better place? Yes, I think it is definitely still the same ethos. It's kind of like releasing David from the block of marble, right? It was it was always there and it was never something that was just slapped on for the sake of it. So the change really gives us the opportunity to come out there with more perspectives on along the same lines. Yeah, brilliant. So I'm still getting the same ethos coming through that you're pushing the betterment of society. Uh, you've gone even a step further with this change, that you're a prophet of good change in the world. So what I found interesting when I was reading about your agency and doing a lot of research through PR articles and your website, etc., it doesn't seem like your clients are exactly matching up with those values. You've got a lot of you know, fast food clients, gambling, cigarettes, you're doing PR for Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un. QAnon and NRA are some of the kind of not-for-profits that you're you're helping. I'm interested to hear how you justify, and I think this is something that some people in the industry have kind of noticed as well, that you kind of have this vision, but then it, through the work that you're doing, it doesn't exactly come through. Would you say that's a fair assessment? I think before I answer that, I would really like to throw the question back to you. Is there any kind of work that you saw recently that that you felt doesn't really doesn't really make you feel better? You know, in the immortal words of Russell Crowe, are you not entertained? That's a good point. I, I have been entertained by your, your advertising. So it actually would have been strange if you didn't throw it back at me because I'd actually prepared a lot of responses to the reverse question. And, you know, you're such a diligent interviewer. I would expect absolutely nothing less. So I just I love to share the stage with people with, a, with an equally good point of view so that we could have a healthy debate about this. There was the ad you did just generally for the fast food industry. And it was all about saying, you know, it's fast food, it makes you fast, even though we're making you fat. Run, fat boy, run, run fast. And it was like a jingle. And that was a really fun ad. We are immensely proud of that piece of work. I think that you are reminding me of the jingle, but the tune's escaping me. Do you remember how the tune went? Run, fat boy, run. Run, boy, run. You gotta run fast. fast, fast you fast. don't come last and you run, run fatty. Yes, a powerful, really, really powerful words. It had a mandolin in the background and an accordion was playing as well. Yeah, if you listen super closely, there's also a synth. Mm. I think it's it's really layered and that's really the essence of the work. It's, it's extremely layered because fat and fast is only one S apart. You are only one small little squiggle away from your destiny at all times, you know? And we like to imbue all of our work with these hidden meanings. We don't just like to slap people in the face with it. That's the product of a very long process. Mm. But when you talk about making the world a better place, I see it as my civic duty, and I think I see it as everybody's civic duty. But when I think of the world, I think of our industry, and I think of advertising as its own society, and we are all citizens of advertising. And so it is our duty to make this industry a better place. Because 
at the very, very core of the world since this really powerful industry that we have the privilege to be part of. And around us sit all of, for want of a better word, the normal people. They're kind of waiting for us to pour culture down their throats, sometimes against their will. So we are our own society with our own rules. And therefore, my civic duty is to to uplift the society. So when you think of civic duties, um, paying taxes, for example, mm. when I think about that, the money I make, I put back into the industry. I pay my staff, my intern, my butler, my chef. These are people that are uplifted by the taxes that I pay. Another one is, of course, to serve on a jury when you're called upon. I consistently make sure that I judge the work I see around me to make sure that the industry is uplifted. Stepping out of the advertising society into the real world, there was actually a case against you by the, the real police of the real world for evading a lot of your taxes. And that was kind of seen in line with more this moral stance that you have that is a little bit, seems to be a little bit flexible. You choose when to say, I'm, I'm adhering to the, to the views of real society versus I kind of live and rule my own society. I mean, it's annoying to have people sue you and point out your taxes when it's not really their business, but how did that affect your place in the industry and in the real world? And is that something that kind of weighs you down or did you put that behind you really quickly? I have to say, Dave, I'm actually surprised that uh, that you even know about that. I worked with a lot of people to move on from that emotionally because I felt so attacked. And so I... I actually went on a retreat, a luxury retreat, actually again in Paris, actually just outside at Fontainebleau. I went to a luxury retreat to process this because for me to be able to take on that role to influence the world around you, you have to be malleable and the definitions you work with have to be malleable. And so for me, the idea of paying taxes is too rigid. It doesn't really fit with the idea of uplifting society. And I trust myself to really do the right thing. And I don't really necessarily need outside guidance to tell me what that is. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for clarifying that. So then the last little bit about critics, and then we'll move on because it just feels like it's not even worth talking about. You know, there are some critics of yours in the industry who are saying that you're a little bit introspective on your own ego and you're morally sound on the false pretense of helping the world while really you're kind of making people overweight or addicted to gambling or following political leaders with questionable intentions. Why do you think these critics of yours exist and how do you deal with them? I always try to approach my critics with a deep sense of empathy, bordering on sympathy. I think that we are all the product of the structures that surround us and these kinds of questions are products of frustrations that come from deep within. So it is not necessarily that I feel the criticism deeply. I feel the empathy very, very deeply because a person without a purpose tends to lash out, mm. tends to look around and tries to break down. I think if you think about the idea of what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to build a cathedral and we're just on the cornerstone and what I'm building will be visible two, three, four hundred years from now. I won't necessarily get to enjoy it. 
And it's not everybody that can see that vision. And so that sense of empathy is really, really strong. You know, we see the world not as it is, but as we are. And so I think that when I think of these people, I think of that really obscure Elton John song, Candle in the Wind, where I know it's just about a candle. I know he only wrote it because he loves candles, but I see meaning in everything. So I see people who criticize the work as those flickering candles looking for their purpose and in threat of being blown out. And so I, I think I approach my critics with empathy is the, uh, the short answer. Well, yeah, thank you. There's so many moral high ground moments that are coming through that really back up the, the ethos of your company. I'm just going to quickly cut to an ad break and then we'll come back and we'll talk about how it works with clients, okay? Imagine a world where... Dinosaurs roam on trees. Dinosip. You might think today is Monday. But actually, every day is Monday. When you drive the brand new cars from Carland Auto Yard. Made for people who like to go to work. On Monday, every day. Okay, back from the ad break. So let's say a client comes to you and says, for this project, I want to be a profit for change with you by giving people a platform to convey their theories to the world. It's not going to be based on facts. We're not going to fact check anything. We just want people to be really free, say whatever they want and influence a lot of other people as well. Um, can you help us promote that product to the world? Is that something that you believe is going to help us make the world a better place? I think when I, when I approach any new project, the first thing I do is I erase the product. The product is irrelevant. We are more interested in what sits behind the product the purpose. Why does this product exist? Why does this company exist? What does this person want to achieve? And what we find always without fail is when clients come to us, when we start digging around, we find that their purpose is fragmented and scattered. It's a little bit like like a dandelion that, that where the seeds are kind of blown all over. And so my first port of call, the first thing I think with every client I meet is that we have to rake it in. We have to rake it in, get all these pieces of the purpose together, and then we have to make a killing. We have to kill off the pieces of the puzzle that don't make sense. Therefore, the product, once you see it in that context, is not necessarily the emphasis anymore. The emphasis is with the work that we've done behind the scenes and raking it in and making a killing. Yeah, that's really clear. I know exactly what you mean. Let's say that one of your employees comes to you and says, uh, Hi, SG, may I sit on the gold chair in the corner of your room? Are you asking me as an employee if you may sit on the gold chair? Yeah. Dave... When, when did we meet each other? How long have we known each other? I've worked there for, for two years now. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever sit on the gold chair? Well, no, but I, have, um, I haven't received a pay rise in that time and I'm working really hard, so a little show of appreciation, I think, because we're making the world a better place and we're doing good would, would be kind of good for our culture maybe. Yeah, I think that, that maybe you've earned yourself the right to 30 seconds on the gold chair. But if you could just, you know, engage your thighs and hover, I'd really appreciate it. It's, it's, it's memory foam, so it really moulds. Okay. So it would be better if you didn't make impact. Okay, fair, fair enough. So my question is, we've got this brief from our new client, which is selling cereal to kids, and 
the thing is that the cereal is 99.9% sugar. I don't really think if we're prophets for good change in the world, we should be selling basically straight sugar with a little bit of cornstarch to kids to start their day and putting a huge media budget behind that. Do you think maybe uh, I could sit out of that campaign and do another one? Could you give me an example of what you think would be an appropriate brief for you at Profit and Loss? Yeah, sure. In the context of food, I'd love to promote more sustainable sources of eating, whether it's Beyond Burgers, whether it's uh, low-fat alternatives to allow people to have a healthier lifestyle, things that just educate people on how to have a healthy, balanced diet. Those kind of briefs, I think, would help make the world a better place. Mm. We love having you at the agency, Dave. Of course, it is. You bring such a such a unique energy. And I think that I would really like you to reflect whether it is the brief that is the problem or whether it is potentially that we could create purpose for our clients in any way possible. So I'd like you to go home and reflect whether we can untether that from the details and the minutiae of the brief. Open your mind, take the afternoon off and... Um, Maybe tomorrow morning coming half an hour early and we'll we'll have a discussion about that. Oh, brilliant. Okay. I got the take the afternoon off. I do have an afternoon meeting. Is it okay to cancel them then? Uh, after the afternoon meeting, of course. And then, of course, like, if you could just do the dry cleaning and then, you know, the, 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 the time after that is, of course, yours to, to ponder. Okay. Sorry, I'm cutting back to Real Dave uh, podcast. That, that was really effective role playing. So thanks for taking me through that. It seems like you've got a really strong leadership style that really uh, lives the ethos. It's my pleasure. So the last part that I just want to get to for this podcast is I want people to see the brilliance that you can bring to any ad in the world, not just one you've made. So what I want to do is take an ad from recent history that has really just you know swept the award scenes, been super effective and been seen as kind of a leader in the industry. And we're going to talk people through why it does what it does so they can better understand from an industry leader like yourself. So we've actually got two ads that we're going to look at by Rivers Australia, a local hometown brand where I'm from. How about we go through the first one? If you want to play that now, we'll, we'll go through it. From the glory days of ancient Egypt to the Grecian Empire, glamorous girls wearing tall boots have their place in history. They were also favoured by Genghis Khan, whose mistresses wore distinctive tall red boots with wooden heels. $28, four days only. Wow, Genghis Khan, Grecian empires, boots. It felt like not an ad, it felt like a history lesson. Can you talk me through kind of the cues that they've used here? Well, I think um, the idea of using femininity to sell shoes that are so inherently repulsive to females is really bold. It really kind of strikes that that juxtaposition really, really well, and I really respect them for it. I would say that they've only really mined a part of the, the potential with mentioning Genghis Khan and mentioning all of the historical figures. I would say that they should bring it into the now with some really powerful strategic partnerships. Like, I can imagine the NRA, for example, and it's a boot next to a rifle. Or Kim Jong-un, who's a, like, one of my dear dear clients, would be happy to partner with this brand. And instead of boots, you would have the boots covered up by really baggy pants. I really think that 
They already have that partnership in place and they should just run with it. Yeah, brilliant. I thought it was super effective for partly the reason that I know you can't see it from the podcast, but the whole way through, you just constantly have a different boot with a price that's been crossed out with a lower price below it. And as they're speaking, it's like that's getting in the way of what you're seeing. And that's just such an effective way to, you know, don't just try to say one thing, try to say one thing, then show another thing and show the price discounts because that's how people's brains work. They'll absorb all of that while they're watching a TV ad and listening to a voiceover about the history of boots. I think it's especially powerful that the poses that are being struck in the ad are definitely not comfortable or vaguely human. I think that these boots are clearly not made for walking. They're made for show. And I think that's a really strong point of view that comes through as well. So this is the second 15-second TV spot. These pants are so lazy, they're not even worth talking about. Seriously, who can be bothered fiddling around with belts and buckles and all that stuff? Like trying to feed a belt through those little loops around the waistband? Come on. Fellas, get lazy. Wow. Mm, What I love about this is just the insight of the audience, the, the way that they bring in like, hey, fellas, so straight away as a man, I'm like, they're talking to me. This is clear. And then they bring things like from my actual life that's like, yeah, the loop bands and the bells, I, I'd never even thought of that. But then they tell me that and I go, they've, not, they've told me a problem that exists and a solution. And that's where the two worlds collide for effectiveness. You're so right. The audience insight is so on point. And the idea of fiddling with a belt when you, when you need to wear pants, it just, it somehow seems so archaic and um, draconian even that you should even be required to, to thread a belt through a loop. I would really love to see a combination of the first and the second in one living room. I imagine the lazy man pant and the awkward standing woman having a Tinder date of dreams. I think that we should actually call Tinder and pitch this ad to them because I think that they've met their match. Wow. Just to see how your brain works to bring, you know, partnerships and everything into it is just, it opens up the possibilities of how from one client you can go to another. And I see why you've had so much success. So thanks for taking us through that. It's my pleasure. So I'd just like to finish with lessons learned. So can you just give me one to three key lessons since starting a profit and loss that you'd like to pass on to my, you know, faithful following of, of entrepreneurs and advertising executive business leaders? Sure. I think uh, there there are two really big lessons that I've learned that I carry with me. The one is it's about opening doors. You know, we can't we can't open the doors for ourselves. We we rely on each other in this uh, advertising society to open doors. And it is actually for that reason that I I have someone that I employ that opens all my doors for me. I haven't opened a door in. Um, about six and a half years, it is a constant reminder that we rely on each other. And I think that that's a really powerful lesson I would like to leave your listeners with. And the second one is that when it comes to working on purpose, there are no accidents. And that one's a little bit of a thinker. You will probably 
you'll probably be up all night with that one. And Esty, I think it's the perfect note to end on as we all think that through. So thank you so much for your time. It's my pleasure. It was great talking to you, Dave. Thank you. And thank you for sticking around to fully unlock and unpack Esty's vision for a better world. What comprehensive analysis, what a lot to take on, and what deep thoughts to ponder. And you know what pairs with pondering? Action. So take action towards a better world today by jumping on the at you started an agency Instagram page, hitting me up with those precious DMs, and more importantly, those meaningless likes. It would go a long way to helping me on the journey to becoming the prophet that Esty has inspired me to become. Catch you next time.